like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing. This he goes on. Gigantic bag of flaccid dicks. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Which, when you open them up, you find out that they're all cockroaches inside. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I don't know if anybody else is ever going to laugh this hard at anything we Probably. say. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating. of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history teacher and english teacher here in northern california and um just within the last couple of days um uh my my professional life and my life here on this podcast have kind of intersected slightly uh because i just started a unit in my english classes where i'm teaching sherlock holmes to my kids and um I'm having an awful lot of fun with it. I wish I could say they were too. Um, but Arthur Conan Doyle's language um, is not easy to translate to 21st century uh, sixth graders. <laughs> so there's an awful lot of time I'm spending uh, acting as an interpreter. Um Partly just because the the flowery nature of his language, and also partly because these kids haven't really been in a classroom for two years, and so they are pretty much universally uh, behind in their ability to handle complex sentence structure. And he uses a lot of it, <laughs> like uh, the the first paragraph. We're reading the speckled band, and. Um, it's it's a convoluted mystery story um but the the first paragraph um is consists of basically five sentences but it takes up an entire page and so there's a lot of you know uh simplification uh that has to be done there uh and and i'm afraid that uh taking away from their ability to get into it and enjoy it uh, but I'm having a lot of fun. So that's that's what I have going on right now. Uh, how about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and the news that I've got is next year I won't be a drama teacher. Um, and I will likely be a history teacher and a little smidgen of Latin on hospice care. Um, or what's it called when like they're actually on their way out? Because hospice is... Care? palliative care there you go yeah. uh it'll be latin flatlining um so uh, it's it's a, a sad thing to see uh, happen i don't like it yeah. uh it makes it so that uh the next closest public school to me that teaches latin is 89 plus miles away 
maybe actually depending on if you take certain freeways, it might be down to like 67 miles away. Uh, the next closest one is in Orinda. Uh, that's a public school. Private schools, there are a few, although I just yeah. heard that one of our main private schools is also dropping Latin. Oh, who? Jesuit. Bullshit. What? That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. No, no. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, I got to write a letter to somebody because I'm, I'm, I yeah. actually am a Catholic. And I know. Like, no, come I know. On. If you're so. a Jesuit flipping high school you got to teach flipping latin one would think yeah you, you know yeah you kind of would think. yeah and it's so, funny that when i'm talking about jesuit high school i can't bring myself to say the word fucking but like the rest of the time i swear like a sailor on a bender yes, but yeah well you know <laughs> you're, you're catholic doing, which yeah. which means a hypocrite so uh <laughs> wow well i mean Am I wrong? <laughs> this, again, rule number one, a thorough old tent means dick. Rule number two, yeah. satire doesn't have a long sh- shelf life. Rule number three, that is fucked up, but it's not wrong. <laughs> he's out of line, but he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, speaking of uh, groups that you think are heroes and that okay. I think are villains, uh, okay. I think it's time to get back to heroes who weren't and villains who weren't. Okay, I'm down. I'm, I'm hoping here. that I'm I remember to drop in a sound there. Um, and okay. Here to like, you know, bah, 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 something. So something. Yeah. yeah. So right. I've got some villains who weren't and some heroes who weren't. And I, I okay. bet you, you do too. So yeah, I do. As I am a codependent who doesn't like making his own choices, if I can avoid it, would you like to hear about a villain who isn't or a hero who isn't to start the night? Let's let's start with a villain who isn't a villain who isn't. Okay. Let's talk about Dr. Doom. Okay. All right. I can, I can get into this. All right. Victor Von Doom. Yeah. Yeah, And I get it. I totally get it. He is a bad guy. He is. He tries to kill the fantastic four murder. Not okay. Even if it's Reed Richards, Um, he tries to take, are are we sure about that last part? Even if it's Reed Richards? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, again, it's that, that distinction between you have it coming, but you don't deserve it. Okay. All right. Fair. Yeah. He tries to take over the world repeatedly. I get it. He yeah. he's a villain. Megalom- right? Megalomania. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But is he really a villain? He's certainly a tyrant. I will I will grant you he is a tyrant. But he's a tyrant in a country where there's no poverty, no starvation, no crime, and no disease. There is full free secondary education, high speed internet everywhere. There's good food. The Latvian culture is allowed to thrive. Now, grant you, he might be controlling what's coming out of there. He might be censoring the press. We've certainly seen that in the past. But at one point, Dr. Strange has to work with him. And he and Doom go back to Latveria. And he, and Dr. Strange secretly mind reads everyone. And nobody was being compelled to, to love Dr. Doom. And they loved Dr. Doom. They just loved him. So that tells me that his citizens clearly value the security and the safety he brought to Latveria, no matter his method. And he does care for his fellow humans. He just keeps that care restricted strictly to Latveria because every time other people try to fuck with him, it's always outside of Latveria or they're trying to invade his sovereign territory. He's got a greater reach than Daredevil or Luke Cage try for. Um, That's true, but so does T'Challa. And we don't give T'Challa shit. That's true. Uh, and he's taking over the world. Sure. 
Absolutely. I could see that being a problem, right? He tries to take over the world a number of times, but he's doing it for the same reason that Tony Stark tries to encase the earth in a suit of iron. So at worst, he's motivated by the same overcharged ego that Tony Stark is. Well-intentioned extremist. Yeah. And you know, it, it is the, the whole end is to protect the world. And he, he kind of just thinks that he's the best one for the job. Therefore he should, um, He's also fought with the literal devil and won. Um, And he did it to fight for his mommy's soul. So we're talking about victories over both Mephisto and Galactus, because in the Secret Wars, he defeated Galactus with the help of uh, Claw. Um, All right. I mean, you know, the only person I know who holds those kinds of victories, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Yeah, Who we know is the most powerful hero in the Marvel Universe. So, you know. Now, not many people can paint both of those guys on the side of his car, you know? Yeah, Um, this is true. And he succeeded where both Cap and Spider-Man failed. So he's clearly capable of some serious heroic activity. Um, And when the zombie outbreak happened, who did Nick Fury come to for help? He sought out Dr. Doom. How many heroes did that happen to? So he's clearly recognized by other heroes for his capabilities and his powers. But not only that, Nick Fury wouldn't have reached out if he thought that Doom was a guaranteed no, or if he thought that Doom didn't ultimately have humanity's uh, goodness in his heart. Okay. Uh, so he has the respect of his fellow heroes and therefore, per se, is more dependable than the Hulk. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying he's yeah. incapable of tremendous cruelty. Again, he sliced Claw into discs in order to steal the life essence and power from Galactus. That's a real cruel twofer. Yeah. Um, he's certainly a flawed hero. I will give you that. He's done unspeakable things to his enemies. So is Wolverine. So has Reed Richards. Um, and, uh, I mean, Dr. Doom never turned people into cows and then refused to protect them from getting slaughtered because Dr. Doom has a goddamn limit. Okay, back up. Okay. Turned people into cows and then didn't protect them from being slaughtered. Reed Richards did that to scrolls when they first came to Earth. Because, of course, it was Reed Richards. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, who else would it be? And when they got slaughtered. Either Reed Richards or Hank Pym. And it had to be one of the two of them. Eating scroll cows made it so the people who ate scroll cows were able to see scrolls, which, if you had no context for that, that fucked with your brain completely. So it had like a knock-on secondary trauma that Reed Richards, smart as he was, either didn't account for or did not give a shit about. Or, or more likely didn't give a shit about. Yeah. But I've got more on Reed, Reed Richards, Richards later. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Because he's in the opposite category. Yeah. But yeah. Dr. Doom, okay. I submit to you, not a villain, but a hero. A flawed hero, okay. but a hero. Okay. Who you got? Okay, uh, well, I'm going to answer your uh, not a villain, but a hero with mm-hmm. uh, not a hero, but a villain. Okay. And and I don't know, you, this this might kind of be cheating because this is from Warhammer 40K where... Oh, Jesus, you're going you to have to... There's going to be a lot of heroes, exposition here. Heroes are hard to come by. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but if you ask them to face south, it's a lot easier to finish. Nice. Thank nice. you. I like it. Yeah. Um, See that stain? That's my grandfather's. <laughs> There's a oh, piece dear. of my family in this armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, 
See so, that stain? That was my brother. He's older than me. Okay. There you go. <laughs> well, he would have been my brother. He would have been. Yeah. Would have been. Yeah. Uh, potential brother. Right. Uh, <laughs> so in, in the Warhammer 40K universe, um, humanity as a whole mm-hmm. uh, worships the God Emperor of mankind. Because he gives them lettuce. Okay. While they're swimming around in their lagoons. Okay. Right. Oh, the emperor. Nice. Of humanity. humanity. Yeah. 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 No. No? No. Okay. No humankind. Uh, Oh. Yeah. Um, The the god emperor of humankind Mm -hmm. is worshipped by humans across the galaxy. Okay. As as their protector, their savior, the the uh, there are any number of mottos associated with this, but the most obvious one is the emperor protects. Okay, sure. And it is only according to the the um, adeptus terra, uh, the ecclesiarchy, mm-hmm. uh, who are his priesthood and simultaneously the the uh, operators of the vast bureaucracy of the human imperium. Uh, according to them, it is only through his constant and agonizing sacrifice over the last 10,000 years uh, that humanity has been protected from the ravages of uh, the alien, the mutant, and the heretic. Uh, Are those, is, is that a unholy trinity based in one, or is that three separate groups? That's three separate, three okay. separate things. The alien, the mutant, and the heretic. And um, what they what they don't mention to ordinary humans, and this is part of how the emperor is not a hero, they don't mention the gods of chaos because the vast majority of humanity don't know about the existence of the gods of chaos. Because to let most of humanity know about that would risk uh, humanity turning to them as as possibly figures of worship or. Okay. Uh, and there's and there's just to some extent the idea that even thinking about the gods of chaos gives them power because they are ephemeral, ephemeral and dwell in the war, but are creatures of emotion and and okay. you know, thought. Okay, that's I think so, they did that in Supernatural. I forget what it was called. Kind of like Rudaloo or something like uh, that. Well, there was the Tulpa. Which tulpa. Is a, that's what a it was. Yeah, construct. That's yeah. We're kind of the same concept, but but on a on a much larger scale. And, well, of course, this is a, a many star reaching empire. Yeah. So yeah. So, um, so the emperor, mm-hmm. according to the lore of forty k, and I'm, and I'm going to try to keep this as short as I can. Sure. Um, has has existed, or or did exist before the Great Crusade. He existed for several thousand years. Um, operating as this kind of within human history, steering humanity mm-hmm. in a particular direction because he was the most powerful psychic ever born right. in human that. society. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And uh, he, he was actually a gestalt creation uh, at some point, uh, like in the late stone age, uh, a group of powerful psychics, the, mm-hmm. the shaman, uh, gathered together and they combined their essences into one being to okay. create the, the shaman. So, so the, the so yes, essentially from the shaman. So, yeah. yeah. So they they essentially dissipated and they all collively became the emperor. Oh, I saw this in uh, Transformers. Uh, Devastator. Kinda. 
Yeah. Yeah. Same, kind of same concept. Sure. So, so the emperor then guided humanity for thousands of years, kind of from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, um, after multiple dark ages and the uh, human diaspora to the stars, mm-hmm. uh, the emperor foresaw a, the, the extinction of humanity that if, if somebody didn't go out and reconquer and reunify humanity into one force, mm-hmm. then piecemeal humanity would be taken apart. Okay. Uh, by, yeah, yeah. By alien races and by other forces. United We Stand divided. United we United We Stand. Wow, how British. Like yeah. how Commonwealth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very Commonwealthy. Okay. okay. And so he mm-hmm. he conquered he conquered Terra, Holy Terra. He he conquered the planet, and then uh, created uh, the Space Marine Legions, the Adeptus Astartes. They will be my space marines, and they shall know no fear. Okay. Now, the very first part of his creation of them, and this is this is where we really get into the part where he starts becoming not a hero. Um, his he he toyed around with human genetics, and his first experiments were the Thunder Warriors, who were these Titanic, uh, uh, Titanic men uh, who had been genetically modified. Uh, in order to be these massive giants and and capable of withstanding incredible punishment and could could fight were the equivalent of you know a hundred sure. men in a fight. So it's like Nunyan Sung stuff. Kinda, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he or no, the, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Khan Nunyan. Yeah, yeah. What's what was his name? Khan uh, Singh. Khan Nunyan Singh. Khan Nunyan Singh. There we go. Yeah. And so after he had unified. Terra mm-hmm. under his control, he turned on his own Thunder Warriors and had them exterminated because now that the unification wars were over, he didn't need them anymore and they were a threat to stability. There's no retirement plan for There's them. There's no retirement plan okay. for them. So, um, so he turned on them and destroyed them. But then he took what he had discovered about human genetics and he began experimenting in order to create even more powerful beings. And he was going, and he called them his Primarchs. Okay. And there were 20 of them. Okay. And they were the templates from which the 20 Space Marine Legions Mm -hmm. were then created. So a Primarch was a single individual. Okay. Okay. And there, again, 20 of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually 21, because the 20th split into twins. Okay. Part of sure. Yeah. So, but anyway, he created the Primarchs mm-hmm. and in the process of creating the Primarchs, he ran into problems that he couldn't solve with, with the manipulation of, of the genetic code, trying to find ways to accomplish what he wanted. Okay. His experiments kept failing and his experiments kept failing. Mm-hmm. And eventually he reached out into the warp into the parallel dimension of psychics and faster than light travel. And he found entities there waiting for him who wanted to make a deal. Okay. The chaos gods. And he made, he, the emperor made Mm -hmm. a deal with them. Okay. Because the chaos gods, probably Zinch, the changer of ways, the chaos god of fate and scheming sure 
uh, saw there's a lot of potential in this idea for like pulling wacky shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all right, I'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Well, the emperor made this deal. And then in some way that unless you spend an awful lot of time reading a whole bunch of novels in the Horus Heresy series, you don't really find out. Uh, he, he, he reneged on this deal. Uh, the and emperor it, did? It, yeah, the emperor reneged okay. on the deal. With a god. Basically, yeah. He, he, mm. he basically, uh, he never intended to keep his end of the deal. He thought he was powerful enough that he could make the deal mm-hmm. and then break it because he, he recognized from the beginning that these entities, that the chaos gods were not uh-huh. uh, friendly to humanity. Okay. But he made a deal with them because he thought that he could use their knowledge and their, their sure, sure. hoodoo to accomplish what he needed and then, you know, turn on them and deal with them separately. Okay. So, I mean, at this point, uh, first off, thank God you went with the short version. Uh, secondly, yeah uh <laughs> there's there's yeah i'm yeah, sure there is i did um but uh at this point i'm seeing that he is guilty uh, he's he's he is at best a very flawed hero because we we're seeing hubris mm. we're seeing a willingness to welsh on your deals mm-hmm. um which is kind of one of the most you don't get to do that kind of moves uh, that yeah. you typically see in villains. Villains are the ones that break their word. So yeah. now he's an oath breaker. Yep. Uh, and at, at best, it's hubristic. Mm-hmm. Uh, at worst, it's it's a calculated maneuver, which I assume it fails him. Um, but we'll find out as you continue. Yes, because um, the chaos gods, um, and now depending on which source within the lore you look to mm-hmm. maybe both sides intended on fucking each other over from the very beginning. It might've been that, that kind of situation. Yeah. You and can it, get in some it, David Hume level shit here yeah, though. Like and it, and it, it, you yeah. don't know they were going to until they did. And yeah, you didn't like give them a chance to, cause dilemma, you did like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that hold event, um, either because they were always planning to, or because, you know, fuck you, mm-hmm. the chaos gods or a chaos God, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, basically gathered up the infant primarchs in their in their gestational cloning tubes, and then flung them okay. through relativistic means, psychic weird mojo, you know, psychic god magic. Sure, uh, flung them all out into the galaxy before the emperor was able to completely finish birthing them. Okay. And so the emperor then had to go, okay, well, I got to reconquer the galaxy somehow. So I'm going to take what I have left, mm-hmm. the, the bits of their genetic material that I have left, I'm going to use to now genetically engineer all of the organs that I'm going to implant into my super soldiers, and they are going to be the space marines. And so each of the Primarchs had a legion who were essentially their gene sons. They're genetic, mm-hmm. you know, the, the space Marines literally carry the genes of their primarchs. Mm-hmm. And so he took these legions and he said, off into the stars, we're going to go, we're going to reunite humanity. And then they went out and they killed the shit out of a whole lot of humans because they showed up on planets and they uh-huh. said, we represent the emperor of humanity. We are here to bring unity. And, you know, because we're humans, most people went, oi, right. What do we got in that for us? Right. Well, 
you can follow the light of the imperial truth and pay tithes to the emperor and be united with the rest of humanity. And, you know, but you've got to give up all of your native religion because by the way, religion is uh, a, a trap of the chaos gods and um, rationality is the way of doing things. So there is no religion in the emperor's ideal universe. This sounds very, very Henry Kissinger. Kind of. <laughs> I am the smartest and man in the galaxy. I am the smartest man in the world. You know, power is the greatest aphrodisiac. Um, yeah, that's right. He said that. Yeah. But he probably said it half as fast. Yeah, probably. Because he uh, he and Larry Flint, I would love to have heard a debate between the two of them. Like you, All you have to do is ask one question, and in and two like, hours, you'll finally the, have an answer from both. The whole evening is shot. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> But you know, uh, you you get you get the benefit of now being part of the Imperium. Um, mm-hmm. However, in order to get that, you have to give up basically your culture um, because you're you're going to embrace the Imperial truth. Oh mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. okay, no, we don't want that. All right, well then we're going to kill however many have how many of you we have to until you accept that. And so the Space Marine Legions went out and literally reconquered humanity for their so, own good. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, right? Okay. So, so now, we, now, now we have that aspect to this whole crusade thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is you know a whole lot of people didn't really want it, but they got it forced on them at the barrel of a gun. So, gradually over time, as his crusade spreads out from Terra, he rediscovers his Primarchs. He finds them on the planets where they got deposited by the chaos gods. Mm-hmm. And each one of the Primarchs has become a ruler and a, and a great mighty chieftain and a, and a great king. Okay. You know, in one way or another, and in another episode, I can spend a lot of time talking about the Primarchs. But um, there are a couple of notable examples uh, that show just exactly what a dick the emperor was when he rediscovers them. And I think the most instructive of them is when he finds Angron, the the Primarch of the uh, of, of the Legion that became the World Eaters. Uh, now, at this time, they were referred; they would call themselves the Warhounds. They were one of the later legions to find their Primarch, and to again cut the story short, when Angron had arrived on his planet, mm-hmm. uh, he was immediately captured by slavers who saw this child who was clearly still a child, but was the size of a grown man. Okay. And they said, Oh, okay. We can take this kid and turn him into an arena fighter. And they beat him and punished him. Until they turned his anger on. Yes. And turned him into a champion in the arena. And then, Mm -hmm. then they fucked with his brain uh, using dark age of technology tech they put a put a stimulator in his brain Mm -hmm. that constantly uh stimulated the anger center of his brain okay that could uh when when circumstances within his body were right turned him into a berserker and that combined with his natural size and his innate physical superiority because of him being a genetically engineered creature for fighting uh, made him a champion gladiator slave. Okay. 
he uh, eventually led a rebellion of gladiator slaves, like like Spartacus. Okay. And he killed the shit out of thousands of slaveholders, but mm-hmm. his mortal followers were not as powerful as he was. Okay. And and his what probably would have been his innate strategic understanding mm-hmm. because of what he was created to be uh had been had been fucked with by the by the anger implant and so he he didn't understand how to lead his mortal followers effectively okay so they all got murdered and it sure. was just him and the few remaining survivors of this uprising and that was the point at which the emperor showed up in orbit over the planet okay and the emperor teleported Angron and only Angron from the surface of the planet onto his war cruiser mm-hmm. said, you are my son, but you have not, you know, my, my other son, I have found my other sons. My other sons have been kings and great strategists and they've done all of these things. And they've built these amazing civilizations. They've been architects and they've been scholars. And here you are. Mm-hmm. But you are my son, and I created you to lead in war. Here is your legion. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. on the planet, the people that Angron had learned to love and had led into the jaws of, of, of rebellion mm-hmm. were being murdered, and the emperor did nothing to stop it. Okay, now I'm starting to see the villain part. Like previously, it was like he's a dick, he's hubristic, he's an oathbreaker. These are all villainy type things. But now he's past the point of no return for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and then he conquered the planet mm-hmm. with, you know, and, and then he said, here is your legion, conquer the planet. Angron conquered the planet, but by that time, all mm-hmm. of the people who had been, you know, his followers were dead. Sure. And they had just been, you know, ignored because mm-hmm. what does the emperor care? Right. Like, what are they? Like, right. You know. And, uh, and, and then, um, the emperor didn't bother to fix Angron's brain. Okay. And so that leads ultimately, uh, when, when there is a civil war amongst the, the space Marine legions, half of the legions turn to chaos and Angron and his world eaters dedicate themselves to the chaos God of war and rage corn and there you have the roots of that uh-huh. particular betrayal the thing is though the seeds of that betrayal were planted in angron by mm-hmm. that particular activity they were seeded in other primarchs by the emperor's attitude toward his sons while he was leading them, he cultivated this idea with them that they were his sons. Mm-hmm. That that you know he made them, and they they had they had some of him in them, and they were his children. Mm-hmm. Well, spoiler alert: at the end of this civil war, the emperor is reduced to somewhere between death and life, and he's strapped into the golden throne on Terra. And he spends 10,000 years with people not really knowing whether he's actually alive or not, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what exactly his status is. 
well then in the most recent edition of the game uh when they when they updated finally updated the timeline of the setting uh one of the primarchs who had been essentially dead mm-hmm. uh is resurrected uh robot Gulliman. Uh, it was a whole other character, but anyway, he winds up going into the emperor's palace, where the emperor, where the emperor has been essentially entombed for ten thousand years, and he, being a primarch, is innately psychically sensitive. He goes into the room where the emperor is sitting, and the emperor is actually psychically still aware. The emperor is still there. There is a psychic presence there. Okay. And Gulliman has this psychic commune with him. And in that, in that moment of contact, mm-hmm. uh, the emperor is not able to hide his, his actual emotional state. Okay. He can't, he can't be manipulative. He can't be smooth. He can't, because he, he just doesn't have, he doesn't have the, the limitations to do that. He doesn't have the capacity to limit himself that way. And what Gulliman realizes in that moment is that he and all of his brothers were never viewed by the emperor as anything other than tools. Okay. So just, you, you have a final reveal of the depths of his depravity there. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, so the the whole, whole, you are my son bullshit. Yes. And allowing those people to die was, was compounded by that. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a manipulation. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who thinks he, this guy's a hero? All of humanity. And Gulliman, okay. and here's the deal Gulliman leaves the room, mm-hmm. goes out and talks with a bunch of mortal, you know, imperial, you know, high ranking imperial people. And he doesn't say anything to anybody about it because okay. mm-hmm. the revelation would destroy the imperium and lead to oh, I've heard of this before. absolute chaos yeah. and dissolution. That's why you let Nixon cheat in the election yeah, is, and, yeah. and commit treason yeah. in order to yeah. get elected. Um, yeah. Okay, so then what about the audience who's actually consuming this material? Do you all ever think that this dude was the hero? Well, it uh, depends on which edition of the game you're talking about. Okay. Early on in the history of the game, um, it was really clear I mean, like, mm-hmm. like I've said before, I've, I've talked about the, the kind of the history of the meta, right? You know, it, it was really clear. This is all, you know, so incredibly arch and like way over the top. And this sure. is, we're, we're satirizing Dune and we're satirizing Michael Moorcock and we're right, you know, right. taking all these things and throwing them all together. And um, it was uh, this very Baroque kind of, kind of panto kind of tone to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the emperor wasn't really a hero because the emperor wasn't really a character. The emperor was like a background element. Okay. And then in later editions, we actually started seeing the emperor portrayed as a character. And there, there was kind of some heroic, like, well, you know, he's the emperor. He's, you know, the leader of humanity and you know, going yeah, but at this time i mean you got star wars out and emperor is not a good thing so yeah i know so and, even at that point are the people consuming it uh in any way unironically thinking that he is a hero there has been a percentage of the consuming public mm-hmm. or the or, or within within the fandom yeah 
there there has been an unquestioning okay. uh, uh, percentage. I mean, like there like there always is within any group, um, you know. But but who have been like, oh man, the, the emperor the emperor had the right idea. Like you know, got to got to unify humanity and whatever yeah, you got to do. Those are those are you know, you know countercultural twits though. Like Thanos well, is right, kind of bullshit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm okay. Uh, yeah, but they mean it. So you know, right, right. You know, just you know, it's people that are like, "What if we are the disease?" Like that kind of bullshit. Oh yeah, no, like that, that kind of crap. You know, yeah. who who yeah. they fully believe that you know, and it's like, okay, yeah. well, you're an idiot, but yeah. okay, so yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. So so within within his own lore, though, the emperor is revered by millions, okay. billions. Sure, sure. You know, and turns out, no, no okay not at all I, it i gotta say it feels a little like um in front of the veil everything mm-hmm. you said yeah but like behind the veil which is what literally everybody who consumes this stuff yeah they already kind of know he's a bad guy oh yeah oh yeah yeah okay yeah, it's not okay you know the the i think that the revelation for for most of us was the the extent to which he actually was like okay. no shit a yeah. bad guy so he wasn't he wasn't a flawed hero who turned bad. This fucker was bad from the jump. Yeah, no, this, this okay. guy this I, guy was I get was that. Like it wasn't ideology that drove him to this. Yeah. It was venality. It was, yeah. Yeah, his, his okay. own ego. Um and um in the the revelation that the Primarchs were nothing but tools to him mm-hmm. was really new. Okay. Like the idea that no, these were his sons right right was something that was accepted as as part of lore by okay by fans for a long time so yeah okay so there's my first one all right uh well i've got a few more villains who weren't or okay. i could scroll down enough to find a hero who wasn't what would you like whatever you want to do okay I'm well i'm good either way then uh let's see last one was a comic book guy this will be a movie guy that's uh, another okay. guy all right um so I want you to think back to the Halcyon days of the mid 1990s. I want you to think of a man who so clearly was in the wrong and and who held an entire city hostage for his own nefarious ends and then who was consumed by his own followers um who took it a step further. I want you to think about Brigadier General General Francis X Hummel from The Rock. You know what? Hmm. I was there. I figured that out. I yeah. actually like it was yeah. oh wait, wait. Yeah. Okay. All right. This dude Hummel. was misunderstood. Like everybody thinks he's the villain. And I mean we the audience think he's the villain. Because I always oh, go yeah. from the audience perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, General Hummel was a brigadier general for the Marines. Uh, he served three tours in Vietnam, Panama, Grenada, and Desert Storm. Uh, he also ended up in northern Laos and southern China during his time running black ops for the U.S. government. He followed orders and he was responsible for over 200 hostile kills. He received three Purple Hearts, two Silver Stars and the Congressional, Congressional Model, Medal of Honor. Clearly a hero. Yeah. So why is he villainized? quite simple uh he saw the way he and his men were used in wars of expansion and colonialism 
The Pentagon, shockingly, in a movie made in 1995, was showing a capricious lack of concern for their fallen soldiers. The commendations, the compensation, and the military benefits due to a soldier who performed his duty for his country were denied to Hummel's men. This happened so much that he could not stand by idly and accept that the government uh, that he had answered to refused to take care of the men whom it endangered and had gotten killed. Hummel told the truth, and he sought to right a wrong. You can't do that with a colonial power. And he, he even started by trying to go through the proper channels. He tried doing it the right way, uh, and he was denied repeatedly. And he was given uh, this, this denial over and over again to the point where since he was the general who assigned many of these men to these far off places, he was the one who had to speak those denials to their families. Mm-hmm. And once he couldn't make the government's leaders see reason through the established normal channels, he had little choice but to escalate their thinking, which is exactly what he told his wife. His wife being the words that are carved on her tombstone at her gravesite. No name just his wife how mm. uh, <laughs> 90s yeah he, he, <laughs> so he gathered to himself like-minded individuals who would help him to right this wrong the most effective way was to, was to steal 15 vx gas rockets from the naval weapons depot and find an isolated place with as minimal as possible hostages whom he held in good care and from which uh he was able to extort the right thing from the government this was his plan he asked for a hundred million dollars in payment uh from which he could privately dole out to his men and the families of 83 marines who lost their lives for operations they were denied compensations and benefits i'd also like to point out that he actually made sure that the children who were on alcatraz commonly referred to as the rock weren't on the island when he took it over he told them to go get their teacher and get off the island And he didn't even ask the government to raise taxes, by the way. He said to do it out of an illegal military slush fund that was used to fund abuses overseas anyways. Yeah. Unfortunately, he did not vet his men enough, and this leads to his death because two of them mutinied when he showed compassion toward the city of San Francisco. In the mutiny, he dies, but he tells the FBI agent where to find the last rocket, helping to end the crisis that had clearly spun out of his control. This was a crisis that, frankly, would not have happened had the Pentagon and the government simply done the right thing to begin with. So I think Francis X. Hummel, Brigadier General of the United States Marines, uh, now deceased, I think he was a hero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And again, a well-intentioned extremist. Yes. Yeah. Well, you have, you driven have to type. extremes. Yeah. I do have a type. I very yeah. clearly have a type. <laughs> Although okay. my next one, quite okay. honestly, is uh, is is not of the same type. Okay. So why don't I give you this one, and then we'll hear from you again. Okay, that sounds good. Um, let's talk about Admiral Kendall Ozel. Okay. Um, you might you might remember him vaguely. Well, let me explain. Uh, this this will help you. He okay. is not as clumsy as he is stupid. Okay. Kendall Ozel is a deep cover operative of the rebellion in the Galactic Empire. Saves uh, them saves okay. them as a cru- at a crucial time and he is a class traitor. He is a hero, not a villain. He was the one that okay. was the admiral in charge of Vader's flagship. Oh, uh, okay. 
okay. over okay. the Battle of Hoth yeah, yeah. and the Anoet uh, system. Okay, all right. Kendall Ozzel was born into a wealthy family on Car- family on Caridia, uh, or Carida, and he definitely he definitely lived in the silver spoon kind of life that one could expect of an upper class twit child. Uh, during the <laughs> during the Clone Wars, he was the captain in the Grand Army of the Republic, and he worked with the clones on multiple missions. It was definitely his bloodline, not his competence, that kept him moving forward. However, in many ways, he's the Peter Principle of the Star Wars universe. And since those who can do and those who can't teach, he became an instructor for a time at the Military Academy of Karida. He worked alongside the Jedi in the Clone Wars, and he ended up gaining command of the Republic forces when the Jedi in charge, a man named Tahut, uh, or Tahut, was assassinated. After fighting against overwhelming odds, he surrendered his troops and himself, invoking the conventions of civilized systems. However, that was rebuffed by Asajj Ventress, who began executing clones immediately. This broke Ozel while he was a POW, and he didn't recover for some time. Ozel was even personally recognized by Palpatine, who preferred the propaganda victory of his escape and the subsequent victory by Kit Fisto against Separatist forces. Okay. Now, I do not want to come out saying that Ozel was a competent man. He was not a competent man by any stretch of the imagination. He was not a man, an imaginative man either. He was, in many ways, the Claudius of the Empire. Okay. He ended up even teaching languages and history. He never should have been given command again, quite frankly. So, of course, Peter Principle. Uh, all the same, the Empire is nothing if not consistent. And thus, he rose to the rank of Admiral through his own scheming and blundering, fell over backward into success, as so many did in the Empire. Yeah. Now, at one point, there's a group of stormtroopers who actually desert, and he seeks to cover the whole thing up because, again, he's a goddamn moron. Uh, This was honestly the first glimpse, though, that he's actually been feigning this incompetence the entire time. Because Ozel and another officer conspired in an unsanctioned scheme to kill Mara Jade, the Emperor's Hand, after discovering that she had accessed the ship's personnel files, bridge logs, and flight log. See, he thought that Mara Jade, Ozel thought that Mara Jade was there to investigate him, but she'd claimed to be there to investigate and eliminate pirates. Since Jade was the Emperor's hand, Ozel figured she wouldn't be sent on a trivial mission to eliminate pirates, and then he figured out that she was using that as a cover to investigate the stormtroopers who deserted. So he tried to kill her, despite knowing that such an act would carry grave repercussions should he be discovered. You could say that this was naked ambition, surely the other officer saw him as an incompetent and ambitious officer, so but how else could you attempt to kill a deadly agent of Palpatine if you didn't have a good cover story? Okay. And he jumped into the system where Mara Jade was seeking pirates, but was not successful in capturing or even intercepting them. Uh, or she wasn't. He weaponized his incompetence so well that most folks thought he was simply an idiot again. However, okay. Mara Jade is much, much craftier and much smarter. She, she suggests to Darth Vader that he actually keep an eye on Ozel because she saw that nobody could rise to that level of, of power, keep it, and still remain that ineffectual. Okay. She sniffed it out. And okay. she said to Vader, quote, keep an eye on Ozel, I suppose. I don't know if the man is disloyal, easily manipulated, or just plain stupid, but I think he bears watching. So 
<clears throat> okay, so so He's what you're saying it. is yeah. um you can't be that bad without actually being really, really good. Right. It's got to um, be an act. Nobody yeah. is that bad and that dumb. You would fall over onto success at least once or twice. Yeah. Like, um, I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember. Jack Benny mm-hmm. did a did a bit in his radio show. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think he carried it over into his TV show where he'd, where he'd play the violin. Uh-huh. And the gag was that he was absolutely awful. That that like he he was like making a making a cat screech like just terrible, <laughs> right. and I don't remember who the musician was, but it was some. I want to say Yitzhak Perlman, but I don't know if I'm even right about him being a violinist. Um, but but there, there's a story of of him just falling this this concert violinist mm-hmm. falling over like like loving to watch Jack Benny do this mm-hmm. because the way he was so bad was a mm-hmm. clue to the fact that he was actually really good at playing the violin. Oh. And so, and so to, to this concert violinist, it was hysterical mm-hmm. to, to see the ways that he right. was consciously torturing his instrument. Right. You know, um, and, and then TH white similarly has, has a, a thing in, in the once in future King about, um, Lancelot would would go off to compete in tournaments and he would mm-hmm. conceal his identity he'd be you know the black knight sure and uh he would do everything wrong like he would he would he would sit wrong in the saddle mm-hmm. and he'd he'd make this huge show of being utterly incompetent and and other knights would totally you know just completely underestimate him right, right we're gonna until, roll this guy yeah right, right right until it was the moment of impact at which point he sat down properly compacted everything up and nailed him sure and and what white said was as they fell out of the saddle they all thought ah lancelot <laughs> way down to the ground nice you know it's it's yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's the same it's the same theory you yes can't be that bad without actually being pretty good yeah okay now his cover was nearly blown but brave as he was he continued helping from within vader promoted ozel to fleet admiral and not just fleet admiral but the commanding officer of the executor vader's ship now, Ozzel's feigned incompetence was the ace in the hole that the rebels absolutely needed because when the Empire sent probes all over the galaxy looking for Rebel Alliance High Command secret base, he had an easy cover. I'm an effete snob who doesn't think very deeply about things. Um, also, same okay. thing's true about Ozzel. Uh, shortly after the <laughs> Battle of Yavin, <laughs> shortly after the Battle of Yavin, he won the field. But when he did it, he did it so incompetently that the rebels were allowed to scatter. Uh, And instead, uh, he was focusing on um, their, he basically had broken their code for an algorithm for for retreat. And so he's following the letter of the law, so to speak, and letting them scatter while saying, no, no, I've got their code. I'm going to follow their broken code. We broke it. Look at my brilliance. I'll know whether they're escaping to. But the rebels completely scattered and none of them went to there. Okay. So this allows the rebels to survive and he looks like he's following protocol. You won't get in trouble following protocol and you keep your job, 
even as ineffective as it was, because how could we possibly do that? Ozil then begins to cultivate and gather around him and place in the high ranking positions other incompetent leaders. And again, it's the perfect cover given the Empire's penchant for knocking on doors, finding them locked and then deciding, well, I guess we have to move on for their search. (laughs) Uh, He knew the Peter principle so well uh, that he continued to weaponize that. Now, Ozil handled and tried to dismiss probe reports of the rebels' bases' whereabouts, and he could have easily kept Vader hopping from system to system far away from Hoth for the remainder of his time in charge, but for the ambitions of one Captain Piet. So Ozil gets undone by this. Yes. Piet hated Ozil and held on to one probe report from an uncharted ice planet until Vader was actually on the bridge. And this time, Ozil couldn't stop the discovery although he still tried. And when it was obvious that they were going to roll up on the rebels and finally extinguish all the hope in the galaxy, Admiral Ozzel did the one last act of planned incompetence that saved the rebels again. He came out of light speed too close to the system. Claiming that a sudden appearance of an Imperial fleet would catch the Alliance off guard, Ozzel brought his fleet, aptly named the Death Squadron, out of light speed in in close proximity to Hoth, rather than to emerge on the outskirts of the system. Now, this surprise allowed the rebels at Echo Base to raise an energy shield strong enough to withstand any orbital bombardment initiated by the orbiting Star Destroyers. Realizing that Death Squadron would now have to sacrifice its overwhelming firepower superiority, which is how you beat the rebels, and enabled the rebels to use their greatest ability, the ability to scatter quickly, this is how he'd been defeated Mm -hmm. before, Instead of fighting a costly and time-consuming ground battle, rather than simply destroying the base from orbit as a result of Ozil's actions. So now the Empire has to send the ground pounders. Vader had had enough. Now, it's not clear whether or not Vader was on to his complicity. Uh, He just executed him on the spot. So it might have been because he thinks that Ozil was grossly incompetent. Either way, Ozil took it to his grave that he has been the best fifth columnist for the Rebels that nobody ever knew about. Further evidence of this uh, is to recall the fact that he was a teacher. And Ozil wrote a manual, Innovations in Imperial Naval Tactics. And it was so terrible that following these lessons, officers would be at a tremendous disadvantage against the brilliance of Admiral Akbar, and would only find victory if they had overwhelming numbers in a pitched battle, which is something the rebels never did. Knowing this, as he clearly did, Ozil knew how important dogma and regulation and protocol was. Ozil had spent his whole life and career being a by-the-book officer. He definitely had to know that this would influence and depress the abilities of the next generation's officer corps in the Imperial Navy, allowing the rebels to continue growing with a protracted insurrection. Vader himself felt saddled with Ozil. Piet, genius that he was, felt held down by Ozil. Ozil was the worst thing for morale on both sides of it, being a ring knocker. Yeah. Uh, he was all polished, no action. He was a career politician who would cast the blame onto his subordinates anytime he failed. Mm-hmm. All of this was a calculated move. The rebels could not have had a better ally than Admiral Ozel. Okay. All right. So. Ozel, fifth columnist. Yes. Ozel right. deserves rehabilitation. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Can so, see that. 
Who do you got? I got Palpatine. Oh shit. <laughs> I we don't normally one up each other here, but you just did. I, Although I this is your did. second emperor. So Yeah, well, you know, there's And I just did my second field commander. Yeah, so, so you know. Yeah, no. Um so everybody focuses <laughs> on on the um fascism <laughs> which is fair which is totally fair yeah you know um <laughs> yes like i'm yes, not, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue that again i'm not gonna argue he's not a tyrant mm-hmm. um and i'm and i'm not you know i'm not gonna sugarcoat any of any of that kind of stuff but i i think we need we need to look at uh you know what exactly uh the republic looked like uh in its in its final days mm. I think we really need to take a look at at what at what that structure looked like and how how that operated. Sure. Um, because at at the beginning of the, of the prequels, uh, you know, Palpatine is a representative within the Galactic uh, Senate mm-hmm. uh, of this you know little planet out on the edge of you know on the edge of the Republic somewhere mm-hmm. Naboo. in Naboo. Yeah. Which which has an elected queen who is a minor. Yeah. And like I don't even know where to begin. Who then with, appoints like, a senator. Who then appoints a senator. Yeah. Who then lasts longer than the then, elected official the elected monarch. Her. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. it's 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 a weird, weird kind of janky yeah. system. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would I even say what... Byzantine. Mm. looking at the architecture yeah you know actually mm. so so it's this it's you know i mean it's a bizarre political situation going on there I, yes i don't, I don't know what, yes. what the deal is with that to begin with like how much how much actual power does does amidala actually have compared you know, to the advisor yeah that's like all the, the the men who are all around her mm-hmm. is her role mostly uh ceremonial right is, right like like we we don't but but that's that's just one planet that's that's not exactly even, exactly that's not even the focus it's, of what i'm looking at you know louisiana we, has parishes i mean yeah, you like, know different different whatever. states have different things yeah like you know yeah texas and, has an express lane to capital punishment <laughs> yeah um yeah you know so so but but we do need to look specifically at Naboo because mm-hmm. at the beginning of the prequels Naboo is under blockade by the Trade Federation. Yes. Now we don't really ever get an explanation of whether the Trade Federation is a group of planets or a guild of some okay. kind sure, or sure. a or a syndicate mm-hmm. like like it seems to have elements of of all of the above it does eventually the trade federation becomes kind of the the core around which the separatist movement coalesces mm-hmm. and like they're painted as being the villains right but at the same time as you know their their villainous characteristics we also kind of have to wrestle with the fact that um they were the creation of george lucas who was a boomer from you know modesto yeah and um so there there are some unfortunate um overtones i would say allegorical representations allegorical okay yeah Yeah. uh that, that are involved in in what the nemoidians look and sound like 
uh, as as the as the primary faces of the trade federation when this whole thing starts. Mm-hmm. You know, but my lord, is that legal? Like, mm-hmm. really, George? Really, really? Um, and and so this this trade federation, which which might be a corporate entity, or it might be a coalition of other planets, right? has now succeeded like at the big at the beginning of of uh the the first film episode one uh they have succeeded in in putting a blockade around naboo that is yeah. serious enough that the nabooians have to run the blockade to get word right. to the galactic senate that this is even happening right right so which sounds like a very ineffective republic when a bank can basically surround Liechtenstein and not get word out that's kind of what i'm saying yeah right yeah thank goodness you have weird ass ascetic monks who take an interest yeah yeah, right who who can get sent Mm -hmm. who can get sent to investigate what's going on as independent agents as independent for the it's really muddy it's it's desperately desperately unclear like who has the authority here who grants that authority like right. do they have the authority to do this like because they're jedi right do they have the authority because they've been deputized somehow by chancellor valorum do they only get deputized for this specific do they, thing do they self-deputize do they, do they yeah are they right. self-appointed you know right. and i mean you've you've gone off on the we've both gone off on the jedi order mm-hmm. before about how utterly that is as an institution mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the time of the prequels so because, now you have a republic you know, that is making use of said yeah. fucked institution yeah yeah right because because what other what other mechanism do they have until they uh contract to build a clone army right we don't know if the republic has an army true right I'm okay with the Republic not having a standing army, though. Yeah, no, I'm no problem there. Not not gonna not gonna disagree with you, but like, if you don't have a standing Mm -hmm. army in a Republic like this, when you have a situation occur like this, you're gonna have to rely on janky, weird, you know, kludged together methods of of enforcement because because nobody's there's there's no clear rules about how that gets handled. You know, the other side of that, though, is if you don't have a standing army, you would better have some really solid and clear institutions in place. And they don't. They don't. They don't. There's nothing there. I assume you're going to get to the courts soon. Um, I, I would if, if we knew enough about the courts. We know that they take longer than the Senate. Right, and so I didn't want to steal your thunder good, if you're coming good to that. Thought there, yeah, no, but you're right. yeah, you've got. There's no, there's no, there's no legal redress. There's no, ju- yeah, there's no judicial branch to there's stop, no, or there is a judicial branch, but apparently it's so badly mired it's even worse than the Senate. Right, and the Senate can't do anything because they're there's owned no, by. They're 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 well, th- th- even if even if they're not owned by, mm-hmm. um, the Trade Federation has their own senatorial representatives. Yeah, and they can bog down in procedure as well, as they do immediately. They they request a committee. Yeah, they immediately request a committee and lock everything. They they filibuster. Yeah. And so, I mean, the whole system is fucked. 
Yeah, like, that's there true. Is, there is no part of the system that isn't just a massive clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. And like we we eventually find out that like this has all been part of some you know fifth dimensional chess game being played by Palpatine behind the scenes. Sure. But like if the system wasn't so fucked to begin with, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to do it. So is this one of those where they had it coming, but they didn't necessarily deserve it? Yeah, they had okay. it coming, but they didn't really deserve it. See, because I would yeah. actually and I, and if you've got more on why Palpatine is a hero here, I'm I'm happy for it. But otherwise, I have something I would like to to place into the record as well. OK, go ahead. Um. He knew because, I mean, he was a force user. Yes. Um, not bound by the petty dogma of a self-appointed, uh, whacked out branch of ascetics. <laughs> whacked out cult. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he saw in the force the future and the future included the Yuzhan Vong invasion. Yeah. The only way to stop that invasion is to meet it with force. We yes. know because he lost to the rebellion and the rebellion became the new republic, and the new republic got rolled <laughs> by the Yuzhan Wong for a Molly long Wong. time. Yeah. Uh, so he knew that that was coming. In fact, that's why he sent Thrawn out to the unknown regions because he was like, "Hey, uh, go talk to your people again. The Yuzhan Vong are coming, and we're going to need yeah. an alliance with the Chiss. You're yeah. a Chiss. Um, you can bridge that gap." It didn't work because the rebels keep getting good at things. Yeah. Because again, Palpatine's taking over the shadow of a Republic that was so rotted from within. He was only working with what he had. So yeah, I, I could absolutely see, you know, again, he's definitely a tyrant. Um, and, and his, and his motives are not pure. Like, no, I mean, sure. Sure. He, he sees the Yuzhan Vong coming and he's like, okay, no luck um that that can't stand because i've got to be the one in charge yeah but is isn't that very dr doom of him of like only i can do intensely oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah so you know and and, i mean of course the sith motivation for you know revenge mm -hmm. over the jedi was a big part of it too but but again maybe they didn't deserve it but they had it coming they totally had it coming and let's Let's take a look at at you know what exactly happened in the wars between the Jedi and the Sith, and nobody right. comes out of that looking good. No, it's 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 an ethnic cleansing at best. Yeah. Um. So. No, I I'm I'm kind of on board with this. I I think that you've you've got an argument for Palpatine, at the very least, um, meaning well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a weird thing to say, but yeah. it 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 is, yeah. and I mean, but you know, at the same time, I. It's very rare that I'm in favor of any kind of ethnic cleansing whatsoever. Well, yeah. yeah. But a, a self-appointed group of uh, of of self-important people uh, might top that list. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I again, I come back to he saw a greater evil coming and he needed time to prepare. Yeah. Now, what he would have done afterward might have pushed him back over to evil. Yeah. You know, just like Anakin was keeping that razor thin balance until he stole the droid. Yeah. At which point, okay, now he's irreparably evil. Yeah. Yeah. Because all bets are off. But, um, and not because it led to greater evils. It just, it balanced. It was. Yeah. Yeah. No, property theft. Yeah. We're done. Um, 
And not so much totally. like that property theft's particularly bad. It's just that, you know, you had 50 here and 50 here, and this was the one, and look where it fell. So oh, okay. it could be that Palpatine might have actually unbalanced the scales again. That's okay. Good point. You know, but yeah, yeah no, I'm I'm yeah. I'm down for this. I, oh, I agree. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go back to another commanding officer who was a villain okay. that I think needs rehabilitation. Okay. Uh, this would be uh, Lieutenant Tom Kazansky. Okay. Call sign Iceman. All right. All right. He, he was one of the few select aviators that the Navy sent to Top Gun. Yep. Uh, clearly, he and he was very clearly and accepted by all as fact the best pilot in the Top Gun class of 1986. Yes. His Rio short for Radar Intercept Officer, was also a very competent man, Lieutenant Junior Grade Ron Kerner, call sign Slider. Yep. Pete Mitchell, a hothead who didn't pay attention to regulations or rules when they were inconvenient, and a very good pilot in his own right, would eventually bump heads with Kazansky as the two were competing for the top spot that Kazansky held. Uh, it was clear from the beginning of their meeting that there was a difference in philosophies. Lieutenant Junior Grade Nick Bradshaw, call sign Goose, informed Mitchell, call sign Maverick, of Kazansky's abilities. He said, quote, that's him, Iceman. It's the way he flies, ice cold, no mistakes. He wears you down, you get bored, frustrated, do something stupid, and he's got you. He, Goose, also acknowledged that Iceman was superior. Iceman quietly outperforms the rest of his class and takes the Top Gun trophy with a few theatrics. Unlike Maverick, who is flying with a lot of skill, but also a lot of attitude. Kazansky can and does blandly outlast his opponents with monotonous, mistake-free technical mastery. His robotically unemotional dissection of his opponent's games, even on their best day, is what sets him apart. You may not like him. You cannot deny his skills. How can you hate a guy who flies with such a refined mastery? And how can you hate a guy who understands his job in best in terms of other safety? Yeah. yeah. By comparison, Maverick is known by everyone to be a great pilot, but he is undisciplined. And that's the whole other danger unto itself. Now, if you take a look at the analysis of Lieutenant Commander Rick Heatherly, call sign Jester, uh, you see that he even says so when discussing uh, Mitchell's emotional capabilities and how they interfere with his flying. Quote, his fitness report says it all. Flies by the seat of his pants, totally unpredictable. The only reason Mitchell had caught Heatherly was due to breaking the rules. Heatherly admits that Mitchell's skill uh, and, and, and admires it, but he does not know if he would trust him as a teammate in combat. His Rio and best friend, Bradshaw, Codename Goose mm -hmm. says to Pete Mitchell, quote, every time we go up there, it's like you're flying with a ghost. Yeah. This is this is this uh, again. Iceman is seen as the villain in this movie. Yep. Um, but the whole time, Maverick is clearly coming apart at the seams. Yep. His other commanding officer, Commander Tom Jordan, told him, quote, You've been busted. You lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hack twice by me with a history of high speed passes over five air control towers and also one admiral's daughter. You're a hell of an instinctive pilot, maybe too good. So he also sees the problem. Yeah. Commander Mike Metcalf, call sign Viper, the head instructor at Top Gun, who knew Mitchell's father, also calls it out, 
speculating, in fact, that Mitchell is trying to live up to his idea of his father. Quote, is that why you fly the way you do? Trying to prove something? So back to Iceman. Iceman was more technically sound and disciplined and was clearly the better pilot. He didn't leave his wingman, unlike Maverick. And he wasn't the only one to bring those concerns to Pete Mitchell. After a tragedy that killed Lieutenant Bradshaw, for which Lieutenant Mitchell was found not negligent, Kazansky was able to pick up and move on. Emotionally, he had the temperament to be a solid pilot. Mitchell, on the other hand, was not. He nearly washed out of the flight school. And who was one of the first pilots to reach out to Mitchell? Tom Kazansky. Now, it's true that Bradshaw was also his friend, but he wanted to specifically reach out to Lieutenant Mitchell, recognizing their special bond. He said, quote, Maverick, I'm sorry about Goose. Everybody liked him. But he also wanted to give Maverick the space to grieve, so then he left. This was also the second time he expressed his condolences on a mutual friend, the first one being Lieutenant Bill Cortell, call sign Cougar, who'd been like a brother to Kazansky in flight school, who'd suffered a nervous breakdown during exercises in the Indian Ocean. Now, regardless of the tragedy, Kazansky was focused on the needs of the group, and he was taking care of his squadron mate. Even in the flight exercise that ultimately killed Lieutenant Bradshaw, he'd started the whole thing by checking in on the two of them. He said, quote, you up for this one, Maverick? Now, you call it arrogance. I call it concerned and friendly jibing. Now, all that said, it is Iceman's attempt to help Maverick figure out how to fly safer for his own allies that had me thinking that people have misunderstood Tom Kazansky. He had learned from their previous confrontations where he told Mitchell, quote, you're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous, which is sparked an emotional reaction from an already volatile pirate or pilot (laughs) um, where Maverick actually physically assaulted him briefly. Yes. So then Iceman switched gears because the second time around Kazansky, like a good leader would address the problem in a way that adjusts to the communication needs of the listener. He'd already noted that Mitchell wasn't a team player. And he said, quote, early on when he met him, he says, I've heard that about you. You like to work alone. He doesn't try to embarrass or bluster Mitchell this time either. Kazansky isn't trying to embarrass Mitchell in front of the other officers, but it is a message that everybody needs to hear. So he brings it up in, in range of everyone. And he says, Maverick, it's not your flying. It's your attitude. The enemy's dangerous, but right now you're worse than the enemy. You're dangerous and foolish. You may not like the guys flying with you and they may not like you, but whose side are you on? And it clearly had an impact. Right afterward, Mitchell says, that was stupid. I know better than that. Says it to his friend uh, uh, Bradshaw, who says, I know. He knew that his emotions got the best of him, and it took the only pilot better than him to point at out so that he could hear it. Had Pete Mitchell internalized that message earlier, things might have turned out differently for his uh, Rio. Now, in their first official mission together, which saw both Mitchell and Kazansky acquit themselves well, wherein Mitchell got three kills and Kazansky got one, Kazansky got the first one, they reconciled their differences. But in the air combat, Mitchell, again, ruled by his emotions, almost abandoned Kazansky during the mission to the point where there were four to five MiGs to Kazansky's single F-14. And Kazansky's skill kept him in the fight until Mitchell came back to his senses. A lesser pilot would have died. So I have it that Tom Kazansky is actually a hero in this story. All right. 
He's the Aragorn. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 trope there is um we we follow the hobbit. Yeah. But but Aragorn is the, you know, king figure who normally right. would be the the hero of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, I I can't, you know, as as somebody who um was of an age to see that movie twice in the theater when it came out. Well, and your dad was an aviator, so and I assume. my dad was a naval aviator, so yeah. that was part of it too. Uh, and who um, got a flat top haircut uh, <laughs> after after my fifth grade year of school because you know it was mm-hmm. just that awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I can now as an adult I can look at that and go, yeah, no, that that lines up, that mm-hmm. totally tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, Maverick was kind of a dick. Um, yeah. Like self-absorbed, impetuous. Relied on talent um, more than uh, learning more than, skill. More than discipline or, or training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and when you go to a school that's specifically there to give you more training. tricks. Yeah. 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 Um, the 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 number of things that that movie obfuscated mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily want to say got wrong mm-hmm. but but that they that they fudged or or changed uh w- one of my neighbors uh as a kid uh had had actually been uh, the, the father of, of one of my schoolmates uh mm-hmm. had had attended pop gun he was oh, okay. actually a graduate of the school uh, and this would have been in the late seventies uh, mm-hmm. that he went. And when he was going there, I think he was flying the F four Phantom. So it might've actually mm-hmm. been earlier than that. I, I actually saw his plaque because, you know, you graduate and you get something. Get for your I love me wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it had, if I remember right, it, it had a, uh, an F four Phantom on it. Okay. Um, but he, he alluded to a number of things in that movie being, just completely hollywood um, well hollywood was one of the pilots nice yeah nice. And, yeah, Wolfman. It's, and it's and yeah. it's true yeah wolfman and hollywood that's right uh but um in in point of practical fact nobody at top can actually get a trophy right there there is no there's no competition it's no you're all here and you either graduate or you don't and that's your trophy mm-hmm. and then you go back to your squadron and you get to teach everybody there everybody right learned um, also did people get call signs oh is that yeah. a codified thing oh okay. well <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't work quite the way it's portrayed do they stencil it with quote marks in between your first and last name um yeah wow okay yeah, or or it depends on depends on the squadron and, and what sure. happens but yeah you'd have uh your your name you know rank name and then it usually would be your your call sign under that okay at, at least when i saw it it was sure, sure. Under that. so ed and, laylock call sign the emperor something yeah like that. okay yeah call sign badger sure um or you know if you ask my aunt uh uh possum but anyway that's a whole other story <laughs> so i'm still shaking my head about that but um so uh like my dad was mm-hmm. not a fighter pilot specifically but he he had a call sign now one of the things that, that is that is part of that is your nickname 
sometimes your nickname would would carry with you from from assignment to assignment sure and sometimes you'd move from one assignment to another and the guys at your new squadron would be like no we're not going to call you that you're pretty princess or whatever right you're not badger you are possum you're possum yeah right and and the other thing is um (laughs) one, one of one of the lessons my dad taught me or tried to teach me repeatedly uh, mm-hmm. because this was this was such a big thing socially uh, within within aviation culture of the Navy mm-hmm. uh, was never show weakness. Never let anybody know that a nickname bugged you. So don't sell it. Don't don't. Yeah, don't sell it because right. because the moment the moment they find out that it annoys you. By mm-hmm. the way, that's your nickname now. Right. So a call sign wasn't something like awesome, like Maverick being called Maverick. Yeah. I mean, that's not a positive not, thing. That's not a positive thing. Like yeah. in the movie, it's played up as like, oh, yeah, no, he's, he's, you know, he plays by his own rules and he's just, he's awesome. No, man. He's called Maverick because everybody's like, you're fucking nuts, man. Yeah. Yeah. And Goose got his name because, you know, he's got a neck like, you know, like exactly. That exactly and and you know Iceman sounds literally really cool but it's probably but, people talking about how robotic and cold fish he is yeah and and yeah. it probably would piss him off because it's right. like i'm not a fucking robot i'm right. good at what i do like yeah i go home and i fuck it's fine We're yeah good. you know come yeah. on you know yeah and yeah so slider obviously made small hamburgers like or yeah. something yeah. yeah you know whatever you're or or you know, managed to, you know, trip over something in front of everybody in the right. writing room and like forever, that's his nickname. And that's how it works. That's right. the part they don't tell you. Wolfman was exceptionally hairy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hollywood was like, you know, struck out in front of, in front of women. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. got humiliated. It was like, oh, hey, look at Hollywood. You know, sundown was because they weren't brave enough to be ultra racist. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cougar and was so, because his mom was hot. Merlin was, you know, because, yeah, no, I knows. get it. Yeah, I yeah. put on my wizard Roman hat. But, right. like, you know. Um, Viper was because he always kept his windows clean. Or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. God knows. But Chester was because um, he was Italian. He always talked with his hands. Oh, nice. I like that. Thanks. That's good. So, you know, like my father, for example, mm-hmm. um, went through a number of nicknames that were essentially his call sign uh pussy magnet <laughs> no no i know i know <laughs> he had he had a t-shirt that like he only wore very rarely like mm-hmm. it was if it was laundry day and he had nothing else to wear kicking around mm-hmm. the house he'd put on this shirt that had his name on it in those iron-on kind of you know right. puffy letters and yeah, it yeah. was a relic from you know back before i was born sure and it was uh, the name on it. It was like, like like you'd have your name on a jersey. And it was Spunkmeyer. <laughs> and and I tried to get an explanation of, of why he had it. And he, he, it was clear he didn't like telling the story. I uh, just like cookies. Shut yeah, up. Or something. Yeah. 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 Go outside but, and play. Uh, but but it, uh, it 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 had to do with uh, a fake name he'd he'd made up. Mm. Uh, when he was when he was trying to call like going on going on shore leave, mm-hmm. some other naval officer mm-hmm. named Blaylock had apparently done something mm-hmm. um, like 
a few weeks before dad showed up in that part of the Mediterranean. Uh-huh. And dad was trying to make uh, 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 reservations at places for his shore leave. And the moment he said his name, they were like, no, fuck you. And hung up on. <laughs> so he had to come up with and a. So he, a, so he had a, to come. He had, had to come up yeah. with, with a fake name, and it was yeah. like, and so and so like forever, you know, for the rest of that cruise, that's what he got called, and it just it bugged him because it was sure. like, look, I had to make this up because it was an inconvenience, right? And then in his last tour, uh, he got nicknamed OB, which depending on who you asked, either stood for Old Bill. Mm-hmm. Because he was the oldest officer in his squadron at that point. Okay. Or out of bounds mm. because everywhere they went, because uh, this, this was not a fighter squadron. So, so mm. everywhere they went, they'd, they'd be stuck someplace for three weeks at a time and they'd play golf in their, in their time off. Okay. And so out of bounds, OB. Right. Uh, or, and, and this was the one that really pissed him off. Uh, he was having a really rough day mm-hmm. when after this is where never show weakness comes in having a really rough day. And uh, he, he sat down on the end of his bed in the, in the quarters that, that they had. And they were like, it was a barracks. So there were like three or four beds in the room. And he sat down on the edge of the bed and something, something it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Something had gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And he sat down on the end of the bed, put his head in his hands and, and just said, Oh, Bill. Like there you go. Himself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and there was a pause. And from the other from the other side of the room, he heard one of his squadron mates go, "Oh, Bill!" <laughs> like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And so that stuck with him for three years. Okay. So you know, but yeah. So so there's all kinds of things that that they they obfuscated or or changed or tried to make look cool. Right. But I I think I think the biggest thing they did was they gaslit us into thinking that Maverick was was the hero absolutely you've, you've sold me on that yeah for sure cool all right so who you got um i've got um another hero who wasn't and it's another right. uh, another 40k character um, okay it won't be as long this time i promise and this one really hurts now the the last episode that, that we did um i that we did this on i i talked about magnus the red who was one of the primarchs right and you remember he was uh, the most psychically powerful of the Primarchs. He mm-hmm. was a sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the emperor told him, no, you can't do sorcery. Even though now, of course, I've revealed to you that the, the, the emperor had done sorcery. But then right. he's telling his sons, no, you can't do that. Right? Sure. So, okay. And and so I, oh, I, I sucked it up for that episode. And I, and I towed the line that uh, Magnus did nothing wrong, which... Mm-hmm hurts for me to say what hurts even more for me to say mm-hmm. is that layman russ the primarch of the space wolves chapter the sixth legion of the adeptus astartes is is not a hero he he is he is a maverick figure as a mm. matter of fact okay um now uh as i, I mentioned already that of course the, the primarchs got scattered uh, before before they could truly be born out of their cloning tanks, Layman Russ uh, mm-hmm. wound up landing on the world of Fenry and was adopted by uh, a powerful chieftain who who was on his way to becoming a king. Okay. 
And uh, before he was found, uh, Russ uh, essentially raised, he, he was first found by wolves mm-hmm. and was literally raised by the gigantic wolves of Fenri. Okay. Um, until he was large enough and powerful enough to overcome uh, the pack leader. And then he became the pack leader because this is based on flawed understanding of wolf biology. Sure. Because of when the meta was written, but or the lore was written. So anyway, he, he became, he ran through the wilderness as this gigantic wolf man uh, for a number of years until he was found uh, by this chieftain who then brought him into his home, mm-hmm. taught him to be human mm-hmm. and then gave him the training and the, and the tools to be a war leader and Lehman Russ, uh, Lehman of the Russ, mm-hmm. uh, the tribe were the Russ, uh, wound up, uh, becoming his adoptive father's, uh, war leader, uh, captain essentially, led the tribe to victory after victory after victory until um, his adoptive father died. Layman took over rulership of the tribe and then eventually became high king of Fenry. Mm-hmm. And then the emperor showed up and introduced him to his legion. He, he immediately sent some of his warriors from his home world to be genetically engineered to become space Marines and then he took, you know, went forward and, and like an obedient son to his newfound father, he, you know, conquered more worlds. Um, and his legion gained a reputation for um, being uh, uh, very, very disciplined in the hunt. And then once it was time to strike the killing blow, mm-hmm. they, they struck with great ferocity. So okay. they would they would they would sure. essentially stalk the enemy and set everything up right, and then right. strike the killing blow. Sure. And uh, so he uh, cultivated this idea of the sixth uh, and himself as being the emperor's executioners. When the emperor needs something done, he sends us because we get it done. Right. Well, finally, uh, well, not really. Finally, finally, but as as the as the the situation began to disintegrate, mm-hmm. leading up to the great civil war between the legions, that's referred to as the Horus Heresy. Um, I've already told you the story of uh, Magnus the Red, who mm-hmm. realized that one of the Primarchs was going to turn against their father. And he sent a psychic projection of himself to Terra right. to try to warn the emperor, and that caused all kinds of it havoc. Blew through all kinds, yeah. Blew, it blew all kinds of safety. Screwed up the, the system. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then in the wake of that, the emperor sent a message to Lehman Russ mm-hmm. and said, You need to go to Tizka, the planet of the sorcerers, and you need to sanction your brother. You now need to, you need to sanction Magnus the Red. I always struggle with the word sanction because it's one of those words like cleave. Yeah. So what does sanction mean in this instance? Well, in the sense that the emperor meant, mm-hmm. you need to go punish your brother. Okay. Thank you. You need to you need to deliver punishment and you need to bring him to me. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now that right, was so 
go there, that was, yeah. punish your brother. That was the message that the emperor sent. Mm-hmm. The chaos gods, because this message had to be sent essentially via psychics, because that's the only way to send messages faster than light. Mm-hmm. The chaos gods who live in the dimension that everything psychic happens in intercepted the message and sent it to Horus. Okay. Who altered it. Hence the Horus heresy. And then and then sent it on to, to Layman Russ. Okay. Changing the message enough that it that that there was ambiguity about am I capturing him? Okay. Or am I killing him? Okay. And Layman Russ ultimately, and there's there's different novels depict this different ways depending on whose whose viewpoint you're looking from. But ultimately, the responsibility has to lie with Lehman Russ for making the decision to interpret the order. Okay. That we need to destroy the Ninth Legion. So we need, he, we need to destroy the Thousand Sons. So he's got orders saying, take care of this group of yes. people. And he's like, I guess I have to genocide now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, that's pretty pretty irredeemable like and already he sold. Leads, yeah and then and then so he arrives at this planet and this planet is a uh, is is this beautifully constructed city mm-hmm. it's 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 the library of alexandria like that's that's the very clear meta kind of comparison you're supposed to make Mm-hmm. It is this place of great learning and great sensitivity of culture and great art. And it is, it is built to be beautiful and architecturally perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and the sixth Legion just instinctively fucking hate it. Like, because, because it is, it is too artful. It is too, it, it, it reeks of, of, uh, awesomeness overly well to them to the to the sixth and especially to the fenrisians mm-hmm. of the sixth um it it reeks of uh decadence okay remember we've remember yeah. we've talked about uh 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 howard's robert e howard's ideas about civilization mm-hmm. the fenrisians agreed with howard okay okay this is this is decadence this this stinks right. of sorcery and this stinks of of you know, degradation and decay and softness. Right. And, and it's dishonest and it's false. And so the space wolves arrive on the planet and they just destroy the shit out of everything. Yeah. And the civilians, the civilians have all been evacuated off the planet. The only people who were there Mm -hmm. are the thousand sons and their primarch Magnus. And Magnus tells his, his legion to stand down. We're not going to fight. I remember this. The emperor has ordered us not to fight. We're not going to fight. Okay. I, I fucked up and we take ownership of the fact that we fucked up and like, yeah, so we got, we got to take our lumps. We got to take our lumps. Well, his legion doesn't listen to him. Right. Because, well, no, you were right. So fuck them. Right. And because you were right, you're wrong now, which mm-hmm. like, 
you know, mm-hmm. that these are Bernie psychology. Bros. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they turn around and they put up resistance against the wolves and the wolves lay them waste. And it's a bloodbath on both sides because okay. the thousand sons have hundreds of sorcerers in their number. And the, the sons of Fenry are just these killer animal warriors. Uh-huh. And at the very end of it all, Magnus sees that his that his that his his treasure his treasured sons uh, are are being slaughtered. So he goes out, and now he has to fight. And Russ just brutalizes him, just without without any kind of hesitation, because the axe has to fall. Right. And I am the axe. And he just accepts this without any kind of critical thought, without any kind of like, okay, maybe there's maybe, you know, this is my brother. Maybe we can, you know, we can talk, we can come to some kind of an understanding. I can tell my guys to, you know, right off and chill out. None of that. No, the axe has to fall. I'm the axe. That's what I'm going to do. And there's no hesitation. And and at the at the climax of the fight with his brother, he lifts his brother up and shatters his brother over his knee. Good lord! And in that moment, uh, Magnus—that is the moment when Magnus falls to chaos and becomes the the chaos lord, Magnus the Red. Uh, as he he cries out for any power to aid him and his and his sons. And Zinch, the changer of ways, who's been manipulating the whole thing from behind the scenes from the beginning, reaches out and and pulls him into the warp. So his okay. back is broken, and but he but he becomes a demon prince. And that leaves Lehman Russ and his legion standing over the shattered, bloody ruins of a once paradisical par, paradisical parad part paradisical. Parad- paradisical standing over the ruins of a once paradisical world Mm -hmm. and he realizes in that moment even though his 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 sons are are howling in victory and and you know look we we defeated we defeated the maleficarum sure defeated the sorcerers and russ himself Mm -hmm. realizes in that moment that a blow has been struck in favor of chaos because now mm-hmm. his brother Magnus has been pushed to the other side. Okay. Yeah. And so Russ never sees himself as a villain. Well, I mean, who he does? doesn't take yeah. ownership. He doesn't take ownership of his own mm-hmm. villainy. He is, he, he is regretful mm-hmm. of what he, what he believes he had to do. But okay. there's never there's never contrition. He goes on to then get into fist fights with other Primarchs on the way to Holy Terra because of ego and whatever all else. And yeah. So okay. yeah. It, I mean you had me at genocide, me. but you know. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. So um well I think for had to do it. Right. Is his is his failing. Yeah, well, and that's that's the again when you see yourself as the hero of the story, you will come up with reasons why you did the evil thing. Yeah. So, 
All right. Well, for my last one, it's going to be a threefer, um, oh, wow. but it's all okay. basically the same character. Okay. It's, it's going to stretch across three different uh, mythos. Um, okay. Gandalf, Obi-Wan, and Dumbledore. Okay. Um, Obi-Wan and Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Totally with you 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see. Sure. You've got, uh, in all three stories, you've got a young man who lives with his uncle, uh, who is very, to varying degrees, cranky as shit. Um, Okay. Yeah. Uh, And then eventually, okay. What's that? Mm, There's some qualitative differences between them, but I get what you're saying. Well, of course there are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Owen Lars is cranky because he's a moisture farmer on a desert planet. Uh, you know, uh, the Dursleys are cranky because Harry is a goddamn, uh, what do you call yeah, Horcrux. So he's corrupted their souls. Uh, and Bilbo's cranky because well, they he's were kind of holding on to the stuff. one ring. Yeah. 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 All right. So, uh, yeah. but they're all cranky as shit. Uh, you have a older wizard character, yep. literally an older wizard in all, in all three. Um, I mean, Ben is an old oh, wizard. He calls him that part of the archetype. But yeah, okay. Yeah. He shows right. up, disrupts their life, which is fine. This is the call to action. I got no problem with that. Um, okay. But all three of these guys, well, well, let's, let's, how do I want to attack this? Um, all three of them essentially hit the same beats that make them villains. And, and that is essentially they will not. And I understand this is part of that mythic journey, but at the same time, being this kind of a facilitator in that mythic journey, knowingly being this kind of facilitator in that mythic journey, they all three actively and knowingly place this young person in danger that's well above their pay grade, specifically to sacrifice them for the greater good. And I think anytime you go to sacrifice somebody for the greater good, I got problems with you. Okay. Because you are not asking them to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. You are making decisions on their behalf that they are not qualified to make yet. Instead of training them up, um, even up to the point where you die, because that's part of the journey, you yeah. could still tell them now you have a choice to make. It doesn't fucking do that. Straight up tells Frodo like, you know, oh, there's there's shit afoot here and you just have to go there and do the thing. And he knew that Frodo would fail. Um. It's part of it. You know, that's why he thought Gollum had a bigger price, uh, a bigger role to play. It's okay. it's it's Frodo's fa- it's not Frodo's success that saves the world. It's Gollum's failing um, with Harry okay. Potter, uh, Dumbledore. Well, I'll get to Dumbledore last because I do think that of the three, he's the most evil of them. Okay. But uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi throws Luke at the emperor, um, knowing that Luke's going to have to kill his own father which is some pretty evil shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, really, no, I, I'm, really I, bad. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Obi-Wan Kenobi stand. So I, am I. I, get, I totally get that. Yeah. I, I can, I totally get that argument there. You know what? I'm an Obi-Wan. Yeah. I'm an Obi-Wan Kenobi stand. I'm not an old Ben stand. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah I like that. That's good. Um, That's yeah. That works. Yeah, it, it helps. I, I like that <laughs> distinction. Um, what um, now? Okay. So, yeah with Dumbledore ah. well you're, you're waiting on Dumbledore till last yeah well so, here's a so, quote for you here's okay. a quote I have spied for you and I and lied for you put myself in mortal danger for you everything was supposed to keep Lily Potter's son safe 
Now you tell me you have been raising him like a pig for slaughter. And this is from the fourth biggest villain in that series. That's how bad Dumbledore is that he pushed incel Snape down uh, with Umbridge and Voldemort. Because Dumbledore is the biggest villain in that whole series, specifically because every single uh, for the first 11 years of his life and then every single summer, he sent Harry to live with an abusive family. That's irredeemable. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I do not give a shit. And then you you want to add to that the fact that he straight up said, yeah, this is to sacrifice him later. So not only are you sending him into an abusive environment, mm-hmm. you're doing it so that you can then use him to plug the hole that you quite frankly made. And that sounds like something I could just say to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Little less so to Gandalf. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. But it's still so some gonna... very grooming behavior and then throwing these boys to the slaughter. All right. So yeah. Dumbledore. Uh-huh. 110% with you. Cool. Totally, so we can just move him off the table then. Totally, yeah. yeah, we can totally move Dumbledore completely yeah. off the table because because based on based on your angle of analysis. Yep. Like no, you're you're entirely correct. Uh, the the all of all of everything that Dumbledore did in regard to Harry mm-hmm. was in order to turn him into a weapon to point at. Yes, Voldemort. So, yes, yes. Which in 100%. the next episode, I'm going to talk about Professor X doing the same thing. But go okay. on. <laughs> but all right. Yeah. So so yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Let's talk about somebody. You know, uh, using child soldiers. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. Uh, Dumbledore. I'm a hundred percent with you. Mm-hmm. Kenobi, old Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I totally see the angle. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally see the angle you're taking the degree to which Ben spent time grooming Luke mm-hmm. is a lot more limited very true if that makes sense it's yeah it's, it's it's essentially it's very compressed he, he has been watching him. him yeah he radicalized him i don't think he groomed him yeah that said he did like there's also again the jedi had it coming but they didn't deserve it yeah. um he took the son of the man who he's going to then use the son to kill um and took him to the same planet that the that the the dad came from and put him with the family and didn't even change his name. Um, yeah. Well, and, I mean, and he, I mean, he gave Leia a really nice place to live. You're telling yeah. me he couldn't have found a nice apartment for somebody somewhere. You couldn't have found like yeah. Jody Dallas of the, of the star Wars universe uh, in his apartment <laughs> to raise Luke yeah. in yeah. a loving environment. Yeah. No, so I, 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 I mean, you. I totally Take, putting it, I mean, honestly, Tatooine is a planet that you send people to uh, for exile. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, for, for exile or or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I don't know, maybe be a little bit darker. Sure. Um, it's kind of a place you you send somebody when you want them to have the soul of a Sardaukar. What's a Sardaukar? It'll harden them right up. Oh, Boom. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'll it'll toughen them up like Luke, Luke strikes us as being a, a whiny little bitch in in episode four but he's but that's because but that's because he's 18 right 
and he's and he's actually <laughs> remarkably mentally fucking tough when you think about what he goes through mm-hmm. the short period of time he goes through it no man well and uh, the the one time you know. we actually see him whine well okay he whines a couple times never yeah. mind but yeah. i mean it's you know his one moment to have a day off and suddenly he's roped yeah. back into <laughs> fucking moisture farming into, yeah yeah so, so you know yeah. um and so you know he's he's kind of a snot but that's because he's 18 and 18 year old yeah. boys are just snot yeah 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 i got you no know, problem with that but, it's, but it's age appropriate inappropriate behavior yeah and but yeah. but he's he's actually tough as nails like mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't see it because he doesn't look weathered but right no he's he's not going to give up he has all the pluck in the, in the world yeah and he managed to keep that in a very yeah. hardened world yeah yep. um and and so you know yeah and and so it could very well be that obi-wan was like no you know what i'm gonna need him to be a tough motherfucker could be but still so, doing it without his consent yeah no i, I know i understand yeah. i'm, I'm yeah. saying i'm saying if we're talking about you know the weaponizing sure sure, that sure. could have been part of it yeah um you know and and so i i will I say kinda, i kind of want to quibble also, around the edges with with obi-wan okay and and also know. i could see this as being tactically very sound because what is the one thing that darth vader hates and gets everywhere sand and especially now that darth vader is more machine now than man that fucker will not want sand anywhere Dude, no you don't <laughs> want to get that inside the components so i don't mind yeah. rehabilitating that decision yeah but at the same time, change the kid's name to like, I don't know, anything. Star Killer. Any there you go. Nice. I like it. You know? Anything. Yeah. Really Wormy Star Killer. There you go. Done. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. All right. So, so I, I want I want to quibble with you about Obi-Wan around the edges, but I but I uh-huh. still solidly see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I am going to quibble pretty hard about Gandalf. Okay, so let's put this in percentages. So, okay, Dumbledore, hundred and ten, hundred, yeah. Old Ben Kenobi, are you with me? Seventy five percent. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, seventy five, eighty. Yeah. If I can get you to fifty with Gandalf, I'm happy because he is the least of them as far as evil goes. I yeah, I'm okay. So, how to put this? So part of the part of the issue mm-hmm. is the framing within universe mm-hmm. and the and the scale of what it is that we're that we're talking about dealing with. Right. So so Voldemort is is evil. Peace be unto his name. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He's he's evil. Like yes. there is no getting around the fact that he is a hateful serial killer. Oh yeah. You know, megalomaniac, blood purity, like just, just he's still only the third most evil villain. Yeah, in no, I, I know. I yeah. yes. <laughs> but but as but he is the big bad, even though yeah. he's yeah, yeah, you know, third worst villain, he's still the big bad. Yeah. He's the most he's, ambitious of them. He is yes, he is still effectively mortal. Like he's he's mm-hmm. he's found tricks to make himself unkillable without without having to do a whole lot of shit like it's, right you know you know uh uh vampire slaying with extra steps like yeah but but he is still it's basically killing dracula right mm-hmm. um palpatine mm-hmm. is a galactic level 
dictator. Right. Who's also a space ninja necromancer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the scale of, of what we're dealing with mm-hmm. is, is different. And then now we're going to talk about Sauron who is literally a fallen angel mm-hmm. from the literal beginning of the world. Yeah. Like he is, he is more ancient than any other character in the story that we right. see. Besides, yeah, yeah, in the movies, yes. As I say, yeah. besides Tom Bombadil. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, besides Tom, yeah, because, yeah. Um, and Tom Bombadil holds a weird position in 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 the whole story so i'm i'm you know yeah no i get you he he's the fairy that opens the book in fractured fairy tales yeah basically yeah Yeah, that's a really good comparison yes um and so and so but sauron is the definition of an ancient evil from like the beginning of time yes yes and his his entire goal is absolute dominion over everybody the extinguishing of freedom of thought the extinguishing of uh light and liberty and yeah i want joy it and happiness all. and everything yeah, yeah. um he, and it's he, it's more to consume than as any kind of a means to an end yeah yes yeah and and then along with that mm-hmm. we have the fact that um so so Gandalf is is meddling around the his whole role is to meddle around the edges to try to make sure that that Sauron doesn't win. Right. And so um he Now Gandalf he, is again he is what an angel? What is he? Yes, he is. He's okay. one of the Maya. All right. So is, we're we're kind almost, of talking okay. Almost as old as Sauron. Right. So okay, so he was but hired he not, later and he is trying to finagle a way to get Sauron fired from the workplace because he doesn't like how Sauron keeps putting his lunch in the fridge on the top shelf all the time. I, I love that yeah. you have such a okay. gift for taking something so cosmic and making it sound so petty. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really amazing. And I hate it. Uh, <laughs> No, <laughs> no, no. Okay. He's, he's actually, no, he's been sent from corporate. Right. Because the local guy mm-hmm. is like, um, engaging in slave labor practices and, and is, is violating like every environmental regulation on the books and corporate <laughs> wants him to stop. I also like how well you know me comes in. Cause you're like, no, if I could just make this about union shit, then, uh-huh. then Damien's yeah. going to side against that, that guy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and you're much. not wrong. Yeah. 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 I don't mind being manipulated like that. No. <laughs> so, so okay. No. <laughs> the, the, I, I, I appreciate your analogy, but I'm going to come <laughs> back with one of my own. And, and Gandalf does tell Frodo, Okay, I've figured out. First off, at, at the beginning of everything, Gandalf doesn't know. I still think this is this about Sauron is. spilling food and not cleaning it up. Because you know what you get when you have that happen. What? Ents. Do you want oh. tree men? Because this is how you get tree men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That fucked with me. 
<laughs> you know, and I can't even get mad about that one. Because, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, and I kind of want to know how long you were like, was 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 that being set up from the minute you talked about food in the fridge or no no okay no. okay it's a little more because i wouldn't put that past you no no so. i wouldn't either <laughs> <laughs> so but but so gandalf mm-hmm. um first off uh gandalf realizes uh that one of the things that he needs to do is take smog off the board because if Sauron ever manages to get reestablished, mm-hmm. uh, Smaug as a creation of Morgoth, who was Sauron's old boss, um, is going to be drawn to Sauron, and he's he's quite the weapon. So we got to get him off the table. Okay, so he's now going after endangered animals. Okay. No, no. Small no, business he's owners. Going after, okay. He's going so after sovereign citizen. He's going after genetically modified invasive species. Oh, so he's considering the genetics of this creature, and now he's going after it. Even though it's fully sentient, uh, he's going to define it as genetically incompatible with the worldview that he has. Oh, yeah, that's much better. And then he's going to steal its gold? Is that is that how he's going to? No, he's not. Okay, but he's going to facilitate the the theft of its wealth after he's... You know, he's going to facilitate the recovery of the wealth that that the dragon stole from the people who dug it out of the ground. I mean, like the corporate master that he is. Oh, the dragon's clearly a a a job creator. Uh, no, the dragon is a committer of genocide. Actually, I'm just saying he's he's wiping out the only of its kind so that other people can move in there. That sounds like ethnic cleansing to me, Ed. Anyway, yeah. So, in order to make sure that clearly you know, both the sides, literal, yeah. clearly, yeah, fine people, <laughs> very fine people. Yes. So, so to make sure that the literal devil mm-hmm. doesn't have access to to this this powerful weapon. If I could play a devil's advocate for just a body <laughs> <laughs> retro satana. <laughs> um. So he he sees that he's he's got to help thorin get his homeland back mm-hmm. and having had some dealings with with uh bilbo's i want to say grandfather uh back in the day mm-hmm. um he realizes that hey this guy might be you know a good candidate to help out with this sure um and and then we have the events of the hobbit and now in the process of that happening Mm-hmm. Bilbo winds up recovering, you know, this magic ring that he lies about where he got it, which, you know, Gandalf doesn't like. Right. Like, you know, notices that and that's, hey, you're not normally a liar. That bothers me. But he doesn't know what the ring is. So he's got to spend a bunch of time doing some research. He's got to talk to his other, you know, university buddies. Sure. To sure. figure it out. And so it's not actually until basically after bilbo has retired yeah i was gonna say it's even after his birthday birthday like years later yeah it's years later that he he realizes because he essentially figures out that you know saruman is is onto something and is looking awfully sketchy right another co-worker that he's got a problem with jockeying for position 
Yeah, well, the other co-worker's a prick. So anyway, um, and and boy, you want to talk about anti-union, man, Definitely. Saruman, holy shit. So um, I don't know. I mean, he was rising up uh, all the workers. I mean, he was pulling them up out of the muck. That's true, and he did offer them uh, quite the meal them. plan. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Anyway, Gandalf. Gandalf finally figures out what the ring is and then he shows up and says you, right you know now now that i know what it is where is it you know hide it keep it away i gotta go deal with some stuff right and then he shows <laughs> you have a up. nuke put it up yeah. on your mantle yeah. yeah yeah and and then he says okay look you need to take the ring I've I've got to go I've got to go run interference because I'm pretty sure some other people have figured out what it is and I need to I need to keep them off your back and I need you to go take the ring to my my scholarly buddy you know drinking pal Elrond mm-hmm. over in Imladris I need you to take that there mm-hmm. and then we're all going to figure out what the fuck we're going to do with it okay mm-hmm. so now here's the deal he does I will agree with you he gives Frodo a job way above his pay grade yes you're, you're knowing my you need to be my courier and okay. knowing what it's going to do to frodo in the end hold on okay gandalf is not all knowing okay gandalf is not a god gandalf having is a, a pretty a good idea well okay so but hold on okay so he he says you gotta you gotta get to you gotta get to elrond right, they right get right. to elrond they hold the council of elrond mm-hmm <sighs> And Gandalf does not push, does not cajole, does not, does not. Now he doesn't stop Frodo from volunteering, but he doesn't push Frodo to volunteer. Frodo being the Christ figure that he is, Mm -hmm. because it is an allegory. Yes. Whether Tolkien wanted it to be or not, it is one. Frodo says, Somebody has to do it. I'll be the one to do it. So somebody else doesn't have to. Right. And so I'm going to agree with you 35%. You're not going to get me to 50. Not with the Frodo stuff. No, not with the Frodo stuff. The abuse okay. of Marion Pippin. The enabling of the uh oh god what's the guy that eats tomatoes um oh denethor yeah the enabling of his shittiness and um, letting it continue well past where it should until he steps in and actually does shit don't get me wrong he does but it's also kind of a problem that he allowed to fester and boil i'm going to point out mm-hmm. that he is an angel and a wizard Mm-hmm. But his remit is pretty specific in the extent to which he's allowed to directly like interfere in directly interfere in politics. Like he can't kind of a prime directive and, kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. He, because because he's an agent of God and men have right. to make their own decisions. So like he can go to Theoden and he can, you know, he can the, uncurse him. He can yeah. uncurse him so yeah. he can think clearly. Sure. But he can't order Theoden to go to Gondor's aid. Right. Okay. Aragorn has to convince him. Okay. And That's so fair. Denethor is a prick. 
who's going but to burn his own son. Who's going to burn his? Oh yeah, I know all of that. And and fairness, uh, Gandalf does stop stop him yes. at that point. Yeah. Yes. But up to that point, Denethor is the lawful steward of Gondor. Mm. And because he is the lawful steward of Gondor, he gets Gandalf, to order his men to their death. Okay. You know, Gandalf can try to can try to cajole him and push him and nag him and do all of that, but he mm-hmm. can't he can't order him to do anything. And in fairness, he does have tons of shit to do. Yes. Yeah. So, oh my God. The man has yeah. to be everywhere at once. Yeah. And now when you, when you talk about abuse of Marion Pippin, mm-hmm. fool of a took, I mean, I mean, that, that's fuck, not a big deal. Yeah. We're but, all going to fucking die. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they done know, fucked like, up. I mean, I just, you know, yeah. Not saying they did speaking, speaking as somebody who identifies very deeply with Peregrine took on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Like, no, I you sure. had that coming. Like, uh, okay. So you're, you're, you're going to get right. maybe to 40. Okay. Maybe to 40. I'll but take 40. I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna go full 50 i so I don't, not a villain no but a but deeply flawed hero capable of being a dick okay yeah. okay yeah all right but, the other two I'm, clearly villains i'm i'm with you yeah 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 i'll take it the, the dumbledore one i yeah I, that's a was, slam dunk like yeah there, well there was a long time that i like viscerally wanted to argue against it but yeah i i no. Yeah, we're mandated reporters. You can't yeah, argue you against can't, that. You can't, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Cool. Well, looking at the time, we probably ought to end this one uh, yes. here. And that'll give you time to uh, recharge and find two more guys for more Hammer 40K. That, uh, yeah, well, yeah. you know. Uh, it you turns out it was a gray just... zone for them. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I'll I'll just keep attacking comic book heroes. Although I do have uh, some interesting uh, protagonists that I I think really are antagonists, okay. uh, but I'll save that for next time. Yeah. Uh, one of which was in Forrest Gump, though. Um, so that'll be fun. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's see. What you reading lately? Oh, what am I reading? Well, I'm. Let I'm me guess. Still working. Student work. Well, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Because English teacher, so yeah. you know, living the <laughs> that's dream. true every week. Living the dream, yeah. Um, but uh, also, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, as I okay. mentioned before, still going, uh, yeah, still still going with that. And uh, again, I I am I am going to recommend it. Um, I'm also, well, no, that's that's the one I'm gonna I'm gonna stick okay. with recommending. Cool. Uh, everybody who has not read it yet, um, ought to pick it up uh it is it is a classic of the genre for reasons so yeah highly recommended how about you uh i want to recommend uh stephen kinzer's the brothers john foster dulles alan dulles and their secret world war uh if ever there were two guys that were lauded as heroes that are fucking villains uh it would be these two (laughs) so uh they are horrible human beings and you should read all about them uh, mm-hmm. so the brothers by John Foster Dulles, Alan Dulles and their secret world war. Uh, and maybe it's cause I'll be teaching us history next year. Uh, but this is definitely something that, that needs reading. So, okay. Where can people find you on the social medias? I can be found on the social medias as E H Blaylock on Twitter and as Mr. Underscore that's M R underscore Blaylock on TikTok. And I actually, uh, had a student find my TikTok account. Hmm. Uh, so she said hi mr blaylock and i responded to her hi student's name 
I guess I need to make sure I don't swear on this account anymore, huh? Hmm. So yeah, I would have just blocked them right away. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so gotcha. uh, yeah, and uh, collectively, the two of us, of course, can be found at uh, geekhistorytime.com. dot mm-hmm. uh, On Twitter, we are uh, Geek History Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find us, of course, you're listening to us right now. So you must have found us on either uh, Stitcher or the uh, Apple uh, podcast app uh, or alternatively at our website. Um, mm-hmm. But wherever you found us, please subscribe and please uh, give us a review. Give us the five stars that you know we deserve because we're awesome. And where can you be found? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter or Insta at the Harmony, uh, TikTok at the Harmony One. Uh, go ahead and uh, check those things out. Every first Friday of the month, you can find me slinging puns with Capital Punishment. Uh, you can look that one up on Facebook, Capital with an O. Um, first Friday, if you're in the Sacramento area, got 10 bucks and proof of vaccination, you should come and see that show. It is hilarious. It's been selling out for, oh God, uh, going on four or five years. Although in fairness, we had to take a two year COVID break, uh, but uh, everybody did. Yeah. We've been selling out since, uh, geez, at least 2018. Um, so come check it out. It's a lot of fun. So that's, you know, that should do, um, you can always find me here. Uh, but yeah so for a geek history of time i'm damien harmony and until next time and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep it secret keep it safe